us on this journey, uh, and I was listening back to Janine's uh, start of Luke for us, and I thought, wow, she, it sure would be nice to have her back for this. Um, but if you want to go back and re-watch it or re-listen to her accounting of Luke and Acts, you certainly can. It's available September 13th was the date, uh, if you're looking for that. Let's open with prayer, and then uh, we will talk about this book. Father God, we come to you tonight in this new year, in this new experience, and we just come with open hearts to receive whatever it is that you have for us, and we pray, Lord, for a posture of openness and humility to understand what it is that you have for us through the text and through each other and through your spirit. And so we pray that that would be the truth and the reality, not only as we sit and listen, but as we read the text and as we engage in discussion. So be with us tonight and be with us this year as we walk down this road with Acts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, welcome again. Uh, if you missed the... Uh, the schedule, there is a schedule that's out on the uh, table out there that walks you through each date and what we will be covering each date. Um, as you can see, for those of you who do have it, we're going to start off really slow and then we'll kind of pick up the pace as we move on um, throughout the year into Acts to the end, which is, I believe, May 9th is that date. And we built in a a buffer in case there we want to move some things around and allow ourselves to engage a little bit more with Acts. So that is that. Tonight we're going to do an intro um, to Acts, and I thought about just kind of going, since Luke and Acts are one together, I thought well, let's just go through Luke again real quick, <laughs> get us caught up on what happened in Luke, and then we'll just kind of roll right into Acts if that makes sense. Um, no, we're not going to do that. But what we are going to do is uh, take a look at um, some of the general themes of Acts. We're going to talk about kind of the who, what, where, why, uh, when part of Acts. We're going to highlight, again, some themes, um, talk about kind of what's happening within the narrative structure of Acts, a little bit of what Janine talked about in uh, September. You know, she spent most of her time talking in Luke. Uh, but she also did talk a little bit in Acts. And then um, we will break up into some discussion groups. So, having said that, let's go back to Luke, the end of Luke. Uh, because I think it's interesting how Luke flows into Acts. And remember, uh, at the end of Luke... Jesus is resurrected. That was kind of a cool thing. We had Christmas and Easter all together in one. Jesus is resurrected, and he's having this conversation with the disciples, uh, all those that are gathered together. And he says in verse 46, uh, he says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these, and behold, I am sending you the promise of the Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So he concludes Luke with that, and then he starts Acts 
Uh, and he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, that's who he was writing to in the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after this suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So that's where he's kind of starting us into Acts. Now flip all the way to the end of Acts. I should have a page number for you for those in the Blue Bible. It's page 735 in my Bible. (laughs) What is it? 938. So in verse 30, he concludes, 2830, he concludes Acts, which is the combination of Luke and Acts. And he says, he's talking about Paul, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So it's this interesting uh, proclamation about the kingdom of God sitting on both ends of Acts. And if you remember back to Luke, we started... Where? I know it's a new year. Started in the temple, and we ended in the temple. And as Janine pointed out, and as we'll see within Acts, we start in Jerusalem because Jesus commands the disciples at the end of Luke to stay in Jerusalem until uh, the Holy Spirit comes. And by the end, we see this great dispersion of the apostles throughout um, the quote-unquote world as the gospel is proclaimed to the world. So again, who is this Theophilus? Is he a person? Is he a group of people? It's this idea of this faithful one. That's what his, ne- his name actually means. Um, Luke is trying to sit down to put together this compilation of things. One argument around what Luke is trying to do is that Marcion comes about and he, is, uh, he starts to bring people away from... Uh, the Christian faith, and he starts putting together his own um, Bible, per se, and he's leaving out certain things. And so Luke is part of this process and these individuals that are trying to fight against Marcionism by writing down the accounts of not only the Gospel of Luke, but also Acts, to give this full-formed depiction of going all the way from Jesus and everything that Jesus did and taught all the way through uh, where the church is at, where Paul is at, Um, at the end of Acts. So he's trying to collect a history of Jesus and the beginning of the church so that it can be passed down from person to person or from, I should say, from group uh, to group. Um, David Garland says this about Luke's purpose. He says, in my view, Luke is primarily interested in showing that Christ's church embodies the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises and the hopes of Israel. And so his case is saying, uh, in essence, Luke is trying to continue this conversation about to the Jews about who Jesus is and how uh, they are to roll into this thing called following in Jesus' way. What is the time frame that we're talking about? Uh, how long does Acts take place? Certainly, it takes place from when Jesus is resurrected and is ascended into heaven. He tells us uh, right here at the beginning that 
Jesus was with them for about 40 days. And then we know it, the, the time frame of Acts ends before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. So it's ending before 70, as far as the time frame of the account of the narrative. When it was published or when it was put together is probably in that same kind of similar time frame. Some people say 64, some people say early 70s. For many of us, it's like, does it really matter? Um, some people it does. Other people, it's like, um, I don't know. Where is this taking place? As I mentioned, um, early on, when we, when we break down Acts, people break down Acts in a variety of ways. <clears throat> Most people break down the first part of Acts, uh, 1 through the end of 7, is all taking place in Jerusalem. And then in 7, we have this interesting experience. I'm just going to do that way I can just tell you what page number we're on. Um, so in 7, we have this experience where Stephen um, gives this great big oration about uh, what, who God is and what's happening. And then on 860, oh, that's Luke. <laughs> 916, notice I have not referred to Matthew one time yet. And we're 10 minutes in, so I think I'm winning. So Stephen, he gives this great oration in 7, and then they kill him at the end of 7. And at the beginning of 8 is this huge shift. And uh, Luke says that Saul approved of his execution, that is Stephen's. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So in 8, we see the beginning of this shift within the location of the narrative, or the location of the story, where 1 through 7 is all taking place in Jerusalem, and then 8, moving forward, they start to branch out from Jerusalem. Certainly, he tells us that the apostles are still in Jerusalem, but then we will start to see them move throughout the, the greater Mediterranean. So 8 becomes this interesting bridge within the narrative. And then 8 forward, we see all of this conversation about who Paul is. We start to see the diminishment of Peter's role within the story, within the narrative of uh, Acts. It's interesting, one of the commentators said, um, basically Luke was a fanboy of Paul. And that's why Paul dominates the rest of um, the story, which I think is kind of interesting. But when we think about it in those terms, yes, Paul gets the majority of the ink in Acts, but that's because we have split Luke and Acts. Think about how much Peter is in the story at the beginning and throughout Luke's gospel, and he is at the beginning and plays this key role at the beginning of the story within Acts, the Acts narrative. And so try, let's try not to bifurcate Luke and Acts as if they exist as two separate things. And I want us to continue to go back to this idea that Luke and Acts are one unit, and we are doing them together for that purpose. And so there will be times when we reference back to Luke, um, but we want to think of them together. So to say that Paul dominates Acts is true, uh, but it doesn't diminish Peter's role within the church because he's had all this time um, in Luke. Uh, 
So, so big shift in eight, and then basically uh, from eight or nine, depending on how you break it down, nine forward is the gospel going out to, quote-unquote, the ends of the earth. And so we're going to see all these big travel narratives of Paul going out on multiple missionary journeys. Other people are going to go out on missionary journeys. One thing I'm going to do is I'm going to print off, I haven't decided if I'm going to print off one or three maps, and I'm only going to print one per person. You want three maps? (laughs) Because it gets kind of confusing when we look at the map, Paul's map, when you start to like, is the, is the dotted line the first journey and the dot dash line is the third journey and the dot dot dash dash dot dot dot, that's the second journey. It's like, we'll just go first journey one map, second journey one map. We'll do it on recycled paper. It'll be just fine. Uh, so it's interesting, right? Because remember what, when we talked back in Luke, there's this big, movement throughout Luke's narrative starting when Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. And so in essence, we have Paul setting his face in the Acts narrative towards Rome because that's really where Paul wants to go, and that is where, in fact, he ends up. So we're going we're gonna to watch how this all plays out. Likewise, I want us to be aware of how Luke moves the narrative on where Paul seems to stop in certain places for periods of time. Sometimes it's long periods of time. Other times it's short stays, this reference to as he passed by or passed through um, areas and how Luke is moving the story not only geographically in the region but also pacing of the story um, as we go through the narrative. Any questions to this point? Yes. Where is Luke from? Um, Well, I mean, we don't know exactly where he's from because it's never really told to us. Uh, And then there's even some speculation of, is the Luke the actual writer of the gospel and Acts, or is Luke a a representation of a, a person that isn't, that's not actually his name? Well, he certainly was one of the disciples. He wasn't an apostle. And so he's traveling around with the group, uh, and he's a part of it. He travels with Paul um, in in Acts. Uh, Some people, I don't, we have talked about this. Uh, Apparently there's an Amazon Prime video, like movie of Acts through the NIV. Joe, have you seen it? You you got all excited about it. You're like, yeah, okay. Um, But... As I think Mark pointed out, Luke is there when Paul gets off the ship. Um, There's an interesting section in here where we're going to see some first-person plurals where it's this we reference where we're like, okay, who's the we here? Um, And that's the implication that Luke is with Paul on some of these journeys. Um, Um, interesting question. Um, da, 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 da. They were there. They, um, 
they, I'm not seeing a we. So certainly Luke is around because he's getting, he admits in Luke, in the gospel, that he's acquiring information from other sources. So he's not claiming that he has his, all of this as his own original source material. But he has to be around to experience some of these things. Um, and then, yeah, the, the we references becomes interesting to say, okay, is he, is he placing himself in, in the story, in the experience, or is it the classic collective we? You know, like, we went to the grocery store, and when most guys mean my wife went to the grocery store. <laughs> certainly um, did he know Jesus I think the implication is yes because he gives us you know he gives us information that we don't have from other sources which would imply that that was probably his uh, source material and not um, either most likely Mark's or other sources so um, good thoughts. So key components of Acts uh, that we want to pay attention to. The, one of the key features of Acts is all of these long speeches, orations, or sermons, depending on how you want to refer to them as. Um, there is all of this uh, Old Testament references, and that is the one thing that has struck me uh, as I've been going through Acts more and more is the amount of Jewish history that is being invested into Acts and where Acts is taking place. They go into the temple. These people are Jews. Most of these people are Jews who are remaining Jews and they're following Jesus. And so Acts is not an anti-Jewish text by any stretch of the imagination. Luke is not trying to discredit Judaism. He is not saying now that Jesus has been resurrected, we are throwing out Judaism. There certainly is some Judaism controversy when we talk about the Jerusalem Council and how all that gets fleshed out. But the importance of Jewish history within Acts is absolutely essential. It keeps coming back over and over and over. And so for, for any time we say, well, let's just stick to the New Testament. Well, the New Testament sits on top of the Old Testament and requires the reader or the listener of the New Testament to understand what God has done within the totality of Scripture. And so uh, one person wanted to, to make the case that in our Bibles it says the Acts of the Apostles. It should really be the Acts of God through the Apostles because God is the one who's doing this activity. For example, right away in chapter 2, okay, oh, this is going to mess me up, so I'm just going to go over here. Um, 9.10, um, 2.29, Peter is, you know, the Holy Spirit has come, uh, and he says in 29, brothers and sisters, I may, say, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us on this day. And then he talks about what David had said. And then if we flip ahead to Stephen's speech in 7.2, he starts out, 
And since he's addressing all men here, he says, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father, Abraham, when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, and then he goes on and he recounts all of this history of the Jewish people and the patriarchs, verse 9, jealous of Joseph. And so then he just goes through this recite, recitation of the Jewish history because it is so important for them. And it's the, the reality that the culmination of this is happening in Jesus, and it's not this rejection of Jewish history. And then he goes on, uh, if we flip over to uh, 1316, it's right at the bottom of page 921. So Paul uh, and Barnabas, so Paul, verse 16, stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And then he goes on and just goes through all of this history of the Jewish people all the way to Jesus. Because what's, what they're trying to do is trying to reach the Jews with the reality of who Jesus was post-resurrection and still trying to bring them along to say, Jesus was the Messiah, is the Messiah. And so Acts is not an ending of the importance of Judaism and the beginning of the importance of Jesus. It's the culmination of Judaism into Jesus. And so we're going to see all these interesting stories. I've mentioned this before. Um, if you flip back to 2.23, we're going to see this phrasing occur over and over and over again. Um, 2.23 on page 910. Uh, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. We're going to see this phrase occur over and over and over. I believe it's six or seven times. Um, this almost exact phrase, this Jesus whom you killed. And we want to be... We want to be cautious around how we hear that and how we understand why this phrase keeps coming back. And I talked to Janine back uh, when she was here in September about this. And the reality is there has been a significant anti-Semitism surrounding this phrasing um, by Christians, this idea of blaming the Jews for killing Jesus, and then all the things that flow out of that. And so we're just gonna we're gonna hold that in with great care, uh, acknowledging the phrase and that it's used over and over. So certainly it's an important phrase that is being used in the narrative. But what is happening with that phrase? So we're just gonna we're gonna move uh, with caution on that. Um, travel is a key component of Acts and the narrative. Um, Paul has these three missionary journeys. Like I said, we're going to have the maps of those, um, talking about that at great length, um, and all the, all the places that Paul goes. And you know, we, see, we see this huge introduction of all these new characters um, as Paul goes on these journeys. And for some of us, they, they are familiar characters, but for some of us, they're brand new characters. Um, and so that'll be interesting to see who joins in on the fun. Another key component of Acts, and we'll see it happen again and again, 
uh, is this opposition slash suffering. Um, this idea of what is happening in the suffering is to uh, move the gospel forward and move the people forward. You know, there's going to be multiple stonings and or attempted stonings. Um, and we'll see how the gospel thrives amidst the suffering and the opposition of other people. Um, as Janine said in her talk in September, um, Jesus has uh, these various trials throughout Luke's gospel, and then Paul and the others stand trial throughout Acts, not saying that Paul is Jesus just seeing the similarities between how Luke chooses to write both Luke and Acts together, tying the two together. So we're going to see lots of different arrests, and we're going to see some miracles, um, but this opposition and suffering and how it is not a negative thing, it's actually a positive thing as uh, the story goes forward. Some really, um, I think, at times funny prison experiences um, So we were like, is that a thing? It, I, I don't know. It's, you know, when you're in prison and then there's an earthquake and you choose to stay in prison, that's, uh, that's ironic to me. Like, the doors are open, you could leave, but you choose not to leave. That's interesting to me. Other times they leave and you're like, why'd you, st why'd you stay this time? Why did you leave this time? We'll talk about it. Paul uh, is imprisoned again and again, how that functions. Um, Another key uh, component of Acts is prayer. And so we're going to talk a lot about prayer. Um, it starts off the first reference in 114, which is uh, page 907. Um, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, uh, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Uh, and then if you flip over to the next page in the Blue Bible, actually, 9-11. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Then if you flip over to 4.24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This idea of they're praying together in one voice. Um, and then 6.4. We're in Deuteronomy, that's the Shema, for those of you keeping score. Uh, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And then if we skip forward to 1423, which is page 923. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And obviously there's more references than this. We're just for time's sake, we're only um, talking about a few. So prayer becomes this key component of Acts, and it becomes a key discipline or practice of the early church, and something that they will do over and over and over and over again, and it will be a uh, communal experience for them, that they devote themselves to this act and participation in this life of prayer. So one of the questions tonight we have is about prayer. So we'll get to reflect over the next few months about what does prayer do in our lives? How do we pray? Why do we pray? When do we pray? 
Who do we pray for? Who do we allow to pray for us? And so ask a lot of those interesting conversations about this idea of prayer because it comes back over and over um, within Acts. Any questions about some of those key components? Yes. Um, well, certainly, uh, the question is, they ask Jesus how to pray, and he gives them the Lord's Prayer. Um, and so how does the Shema with function within their prayer life in this context? Um, I think as many of the scholars point out, their Jewishness is not going away. So the implication would be they're still practicing their Jewish lifestyle. I mean, that's why when we get to, when Peter has the vision, right? Peter has this vision and the sheet comes down and all the animals and he wakes up and he's like, this, this cannot happen. This cannot be. It becomes this mind-boggling experience, and then Cornelius has the, has the same vision. And then the whole idea of the Jerusalem Council, what do we do with our Jewishness, and how do we incorporate non-Jews into what we're doing? So there isn't really a declaration around what are they praying or how are they praying. To say that they devote themselves to the prayers seems to be an implica- implication that it's the prayers that they knew as Jewish people. Yes. I don't know exactly what they're praying in this instance. Mm. Does it become less Jewish and more Gentile? Um, That's a good question. What I think is interesting when I reflect on that in my own life is how the vernacular of my prayers has changed as I've aged. And so would their prayer life have changed as they aged? Probably to some degree. Um, we're just totally speculating. Which some people, like, let's just color outside the lines. You don't win the Schaefer's coloring contest at Christmas if you color outside the lines, apparently. So some people love to color inside the lines, and they get very uncomfortable without any lines, and it's interesting to think about. I mean, just hypothetically speaking, I didn't enter the Schaefer's coloring contest. So I'm not feeling bad. I didn't even realize adults did that sort of thing. But good on them. And thank you for volunteering with the Timberwood youth. You know who you are. Yes. Oh, sure. Thank you for pointing that out. 
Um, so if we go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, some of you are like, I thought we were doing a New Testament book. <laughs> I understand. So we see, um, oh, I'm sorry, page 151. So the Israelites, you know, they get the Ten Commandments, you know, Charlton Heston, the whole nine yards. Um, and then we go into um, this idea of how are they going to function within this land flowing with milk and honey, right? That's this instruction about how to live as the people of God. And in 6.4, this is what we call the Shema. It's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is the Shema, this idea of the oneness of God. And that, again, is why I was talking to some people at the end of last um, of Luke. The challenge for the Jew is the multiplicity that is perceived within the Trinity. And how can a one God be three gods? And so if you have spent generations upon generations upon generations declaring that God is one, and now you're saying that Jesus is God and what in the world is happening, there becomes a massive mind challenge for people that are Jews that believe the oneness, and which is a completely different conversation, which doesn't have anything to do with Acts necessarily. Yes. Man, we've gone so far off the rails. <laughs> um, I'm looking at the clock. Um, so if you look at your if you look at your schedule, May 9th is a QA catch-up. <laughs> How about we talk about that later? Okay? Um, so back to this idea of prayer and asking uh, around this idea of how are they praying and are they, you know, the Shema becomes this, it is cornerstone for people, for the Jewish faith, you know, uh, as Jesus talks about in Luke about those who love to have the phylacteries and all of these things, that is the literal interpretation of that people had these things bound up, rolled up on their foreheads uh, and that sort of thing. And so is that, in some ways, I guess the question becomes, is it acceptable to pray that? Yes, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with praying that. Um, is, does this, one thing that becomes very important uh, in this conversation is, uh, is this a tradition thing or is this a standard thing? And what do we do uh, around these beliefs that we've held and now we're confronted with a different belief. That's what Peter has when, when the sheet comes down. Um, so 
if we've prayed one way forever and then we encounter a different type of prayer, it, it can shake us to some degree. And it's not that one way of praying is right and one way of praying is wrong. It's just they're different. And so for this question around what are they praying, I don't think we really know. Full circle. Um, okay. Uh, I gotta just pay attention to time. Okay, so what are some themes that are, we're gonna talk about um, in Acts? Well, the biggest theme is God's activity in the life of his people. And so right out of the gate, we get Pentecost. And so we get the movement of God through the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit uh, works within the life of the believer. And there's, there's times that we're going to encounter where we're going to say, but I thought the Holy Spirit rolled this way. Or I thought the Holy Spirit came about in this fashion. And even as I'm reading it and going through it, and you're like, okay, this, this long-held belief about when somebody is indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and then you're reading through the story, and you're like, wait, it didn't happen that way. These people come to faith in Christ, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit. And so what's happening here? And then we're going to talk about how baptism functions within Acts. And we're going to say, well, my belief of baptism has been this forever, but now when we see this experience where this whole household comes to faith and they're baptized and what's happening and are there kids in the household and so are kids being baptized and what's happening here? And part of the thing that we're going to wrestle with is, and it's one of the questions that we have tonight, is what do we do when we encounter a belief or reality that doesn't mesh with our other beliefs. And so Peter has this belief that animals of a particular type are unclean and he shall not eat them. He has a vision and God seems to tell him, or does, doesn't seem, he tells him that that is no longer a belief that he should hold. I mean, that's a challenge. <laughs> And so Cornelius, they have this experience. And again, that's why the whole Jerusalem Council thing comes about. And so we get to have this process of saying, when I come to an experience in Scripture that I have a personal belief that I've held maybe for a very long time, and then I come to a point in Scripture where I'm like, that seems different than the belief that I've held for a very long time. Now what do I do? And, you know, John made the reference on Sunday to the whole idea of, you know, a 52-card deck is of Satan, but a 56-card deck with birds is totally cool. Um, regular playing cards, rook, what do we do with that? Again, is that tradition or is that um, what God wants for our lives, I guess? Um, so these are some of the things we're going to talk about. It's going to be super interesting, and, and we're going to have grace and humility and openness to each other, um, and it's going to just be wonderful. Because one thing we know in the early church is when you follow Jesus, there's no conflict. <laughs> uh, when you're a, a disciple of Jesus, 
you don't have conflict with other disciples of Jesus. That's one of the great things about as we look at Acts and certainly as we read through all of Paul's letters, we don't get to not be human beings. And so we see the stories of these people who are human beings who are trying to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ and they're clashing with each other and they're trying to figure it out. And so what do we do with that? So again, this idea of God's activity in the life of his people, we're going to see these interesting healings where we're going to say, wait, how in the world did that happen? I mean, Paul's shadow is healing people. Like, what is that all about? You know, again, the prison deliverances, what is happening. God is clearly acting in these people's lives to create opportunities for them to advance the kingdom of God. Um, And so what does that look like? Deliverance from the crowds. You know, Paul has this desire to to go to Rome and to, to basically plead his case and, and at times, he's literally shipwrecked. Um, and so how does God work within the life of his people throughout Acts? And I know I've said this before, and, and I will say it again, and I'll probably say it again. We ask ourselves as we read through the narrative of Acts, is this descriptive or is this prescriptive? So is this a normative event Or is this something that happened one time or two times or only in this instance? And so as we go through Acts, we're going to say, okay, descriptive or prescriptive? You know, one of the conversations around Paul's conversion is this bright light, and he hears this audible voice. So we have this question of, okay, I haven't heard an audible voice of God. Does that mean God hasn't communicated to me? So is Paul's experience normative, meaning normal for all Christians? If so, I don't know. I guess the number of Christians in this room really just decreased. (laughs) Because I don't know really anyone who's had that same experience. Um, And so we're going to get to talk about some of these things and keep this tension in mind. Last thing about... um, So that's God's activity in these people's lives. The last thing that we're going to talk about as kind of this key theme within Acts is uh, the communal aspect of this group. And so we're going to see all these characters come in and out of the story, how they intersect with each other, how they interact with each other. Obviously, right away, they're they're gathered together. Um, They replace Judas, which we're going to talk about next week as we go through chapter 1. You know, in chapter 2, we see this idea of them having everything in common together. We see other instances of great charity where people are providing for each other, people coming along, other new believers and teaching them things. And so we're going to see the communal aspect of the early church play out in a variety of forms uh, as we go through. And we're going to get to talk. I know it's going to pretty much shock almost no one who's been here that we're going to talk about the importance of community um, and how we interact and relate to one another as followers of Jesus Christ. So, broad brush sweeping over strokes, over strokes, that's not even a thing, broad brush strokes, uh, wide-ranging sweep over acts. Hopefully what we've done is we've kind of set the table, and uh, like any good trailer, we haven't spoiled too many things. I mean, I'd hate to spoil some things that are coming up, um, although I'd love for you to spend some time reading through 
this or listening to it or uh, watching the video on Amazon Prime. Someone said, make sure you do it before the commercials start, which apparently is soon. I don't know. Um, so for those of you who haven't been here before, welcome. So glad you came. Um, tonight is somewhat unique and somewhat um, accurate uh, representation of what the rest of this time will be like. We typically go read through the text and then discuss the text. Um, so if you're like, when are we going to actually read the Bible? <laughs> Great question. Uh, next week we'll read long sections of text, starting in chapter 1. Yes. Oh, yes, I was going to mention that at the end, but I know some people leave. Um, so starting next Sunday, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, the 14th, uh, we're going to be reading it aloud at 1030 over in the Great Hall. Um, so you can come, and since though we'll be reading through big sections each week, um, it's going to take place over four weeks, you can, you'll get to catch up and read through a bunch of it um, and listen as the first audience would have listened to the text being read aloud. Uh, and you can follow along in your Bible if you, if you so choose. So thank you for pointing that out. Uh, those of you who do not have a discussion group, now is the time we go to discussion groups. We break up into these discussion groups and discuss uh, the questions from tonight. Uh, and so if you do not have a discussion group, if you could come forward, I'll put you in a discussion group. If you choose not to, that's fine. Uh, you don't have to be in a discussion group uh, but if you want to be in a discussion group, come forward and I'll put you in a group. 